What's up, guys? Mitch from RespectMergent.com coming back with a new season of the North American Weed Tour podcast. Today, joined by two special guests, George and Kim Jage. How are you guys doing today? Oh, we're doing great, Mitch. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Mitch. Awesome. I know you guys are involved with a couple different companies on the media side and J Brand Insights, but today we're going to be talking about Unpack. Kim's got the shirt on, brand, brand representation window. So the, the the event you guys brought to life in Las Vegas last year, show number two earlier this year in NYC, and then we're coming back to Las Vegas again this September. I know our team did uh, both of the previous and will be in attendance for this next one. So excited to get into that. But before we get into that, every guest that I have on any show of mine, I always start with their origin story around cannabis, whether that's personal, professional, or both, whatever you feel vulnerable in sharing. So Kim, since you're digitally sitting next to me, I will start with you. Just curious, kind of your origin story around the plant. Well, it's interesting, Mitch, because uh, I had an atrial septal defect, so I had a heart problem and I had to stay away from cannabis. Um, my cardiologist, you know, pounded it into my head, do not do drugs, do not do drugs all of growing up. But my first exploration with the plant was in college, like a lot of people. Uh, I was a freshman and I decided, fuck this, I'm going to smoke. And then I rolled around on my dorm room floor singing, I feel good. And that's what I did. And I swore I wasn't high, but I was like, singing and I loved it. Um, today, I use it medicinally. Uh, it helps me sleep. I hardly ever smoke. I typically have a gummy or a chocolate or a tincture. But um, my best story of being high was actually when we met our team for the first time because we started Jage Media during the pandemic, right? During COVID. So we never met all at once. And we finally met here on Bainbridge Island and fucking Wendy gave me this joint. And because I don't smoke that often, I was so high. George, how high was I for like- Well, first of all, I had, I had some kind of very like kind of balanced, a little bit lower THC content joints. Knowing that Kim, I didn't want her to get too stoned. So she comes outside and Wendy goes, here, take a hit of this. And of course, it's like, you know, like 35% rolled in keef and maybe a little hash oil on there. And I see Kim take a big coffer hit. And I'm like, oh, she's fucking gone. She's gone. Um, but, there may you know, be video I, involved. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, video like, out there know. somewhere of me and Wendy dancing like crazy. But we had, it was one of the most memorable experiences I ever had because I got to meet my team in person. And we had so much fun together. And I was wicked high. It was well, and, and and yeah, I think you're probably skipping a couple of really entertaining times. I mean, Kim is is I'm sorry, but you are absolutely hysterical when you get really high. <laughs> um, <laughs> and actually, when I got in the back in the industry and was running and building MJ Bizcon, you know, I you know wanted to kind of see what's out there in the marketplace and everything else. And I had some products, and I said, Kim, you, know, you should really try this. It probably help you fall asleep. And like, here's a drawer. I got a bunch of stuff in there. Just feel free to try it anytime. And I was out to dinner and I came home one night and I came came home and I, I went up to the bedroom and there's Kim sitting in bed with like three bags of chips. And I go, what's going on? And she just started laughing and wouldn't stop for about <laughs> half an hour. Um, and I said, okay, I take it you found the cookie jar. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's such a wonderful plant and product and stuff. I, uh, my origin story started a little bit earlier. 
um, when I was 14. I don't know if I should name names, but I do remember uh, my best friend who I bought a dime bag with and the guy I bought it from that was mostly seeds and stems, not knowing any better. Um, but, you know, when I was, you know, 15 and 16 years old, I had a herbal distribution business to kind of uh, keep my friends uh, in, in good supply. Um, I was uh, working with some people that were distributing some herbs, so to speak. And then, you know, just in college, um, just, you know, really enjoyed cannabis quite a bit. It was kind of ironic, though, like once I got out of school and was building my career and, and, and building some trade shows, you know, it just wasn't as readily available as it was, you know, and, um, you know, it wasn't something that I maybe had as much time in my, you know, recreational time to just chill out and smoke some weed. So it wasn't until I came back into the industry in 2014 and took over as president of MJ BizCon that I really kind of, you know, rediscovered cannabis. I remember the first time, like I went to um, uh, Ian Sieb's, uh dispensary in Colorado. He was one of the first ones there. I forget the name of it. Um, and bought like a, a half gram or a gram, rolled it with a little tobacco, smoked maybe two or three hits of the joint, and then had a friend drop me off at the airport early. And I was like literally holding on to the moving walkway, thinking to myself, somebody better slow this thing down before somebody gets hurt. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm like, wow, this got really intense. And, and so then, you know, kind of, again, early stages of the market kind of form factors were still limited, but, and some of the technology around fast acting gummies weren't around. So, you know, I started exploring the vape, you know, vape cartridges and stuff. Really enjoyed that just from a dose control standpoint because, you know, I love, you know, smoking, but I, you know, I don't know a ton of people that like to be in that, you know, super, you know, stupor cannabis fog, right, where you're a little bit overconsumed. And it was just a nice way to be able to enjoy the effects without, you know, overconsuming that you would, you know, or have control of it. Um, you know, since, I mean, you know, there's the beverages, the the gummies. Um, I'm not a big chocolate fan. I'm more of a caramel licorice, licorice palate guy, but um, I've kind of come full, full circle and really just enjoy flour these days. And um, it's just, I just enjoy the experience and enjoy the effects of having kind of that full spectrum of being able to enjoy cannabis. I'm not, um, I, I try to avoid dabbing. I've, I still haven't done that yet. I just feel like that's, that's taking my game up to a whole nother level. I like kind of keeping things mellow. So uh, I, I, I can respect that. I'm a big flower consumer myself personally, but on the team, uh, I, I all, they all call me the baby dabber. I am a, I am a baby dad. I can smoke an ungodly amount of flour, but dabs, uh, very, very, very small increments. I, I have not been acclimated there, but appreciate greatly appreciate you guys sharing the journey. I, I love asking that because I personally love just collecting that data from everyone I come across and seeing the different stories. But I also think it just helps kind of further break the stigma. A lot of uh, being around this industry, you guys are definitely well-respected professionals, but it's nice to be able to humanize the plant and, and the consumption because at the root of what we're doing, that is the, the basis. If people aren't consuming this product, there is absolutely no industry. Yeah. So uh, just a real, real little sidebar on that one too. It was funny. Um, once I did get in the industry, my son was in third grade at the time. And um, for some reason they were talking about what their parents did and, and he comes home from school. He goes, mom, dad, you know, we talked about what our parents do. And I told my teacher that my dad's job is to sell pot. <laughs> and so um, I had a call, I called her up and I'm like, listen, I just want to clarify what my son said today, just so you know that I'm, you know, I don't sell pot, but what I do do is I help people who sell pot, sell more pot legally. 
And um, it was a really great conversation. This was back in like 2015 and the stigma was still really heavy back yeah, then. And, and her son had, um, George, if you recall. Yeah, I had some depression and son, some anxiety yes. issues. And, exactly. uh, you know, yep. it led to a great conversation. I talked to her a little bit about using cannabis with young adults, um, you know, cautiously because of the risks. Yeah, he, was a young son. he was an older son. I should yeah, clarify. He was between age 16, 17 years old. And you know, directed her to some really good medical information with Americans for Safe Access and other sources that were available back then and told her to do her research. I mean, and uh, maybe CBD or maybe even a CBD would work for her. Who's getting a phone call? Not me, because I turned mine off. I apologize. It's me. <laughs> business is booming, man. It's every time every time we get a phone call on one of these, it's business is booming, man. You can't stop it. Business is booming. Okay, but uh, I lost you guys now. I'm back. Okay, I'm there. Sorry. Right. I apologize. No, no, no worries. No worries. Well, I'm curious kind of the the origination. I'm going to get back. We're going to take a little bit further back after this one, but I'm kind of curious the original inspiration behind Unpacked. Obviously, the first one was last year. I'm assuming coming out of COVID, it was probably planned before that. Just, just a rough assumption uh, because we didn't really have much going on for a while. But also just kind of I, I know an event like that takes – you know, a long time to plan. And even before you start planning, there's kind of that initial, initial conception uh, and the idea. So I'm curious kind of when that came to be and what was the original inspiration behind that? Um, Kim, you want me to take the lead yeah, on this? Yeah, take the okay. lead. Well, I, I, you know, Kim and I, prior to, you know, in our, our one of our previous lives, um, you know, we built the largest trade show in the world for the tea industry. And so, you know, she and I had run a business before together and, you know, really, I think, complement each other. And I think, you know, when you see, you know, businesses succeed, it's usually have, you know, partners that can, you know, challenge each other to be, you know, better and also, you know, kind of have different skill sets that come together to really kind of, you know, create a, a, a bigger force. And, you know, so I got back into the cannabis, but as I said, I got in the cannabis space and, and, and with MJ Biz. But, you know, I always saw that 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 at that time, like what kept me up at night is like, how does this how does this evolve? Right. Like because cannabis is going to be a consumer packaged goods. It's going to behave a lot like alcohol in the industry. Um, brands are really where, you know, the wealth and I think the the opportunity lies, you know, that's going to be the Seagram's or the Bacardi or the Anheuser-Busch of, of cannabis down the road. Um, that didn't exist in the early stages of the industry. And, you know, when I, after running a couple of businesses and Kim wanted to get back into the event space, you know, we saw an opportunity to create an event that we felt, um, you know, was kind of a blue ocean space that, you know, all of these national shows are supply side shows. It's, it's a lot of redundancy. It's, you know, equipment, a machine in the corner that goes bang. It's more packaging companies. Um, and the industry's changed so much since, you know, MJ Biz was founded, since a lot of these other national shows were founded, but the needs have changed so much. And those shows haven't adapted to meet the needs of the market at the moment. Um, and, and recognizing that, you know, seeing these events where brands and retailers might go, but they don't actually go to the show. They go to set up meetings outside of the events. That's hugely inefficient for, from a standpoint of, of their time and, and being able to kind of really concentrate this stuff. Um, you know, Kim's really the, the vision behind the MG Unpacked name and, and really the brand. Uh, but, you know, collectively, we just saw that, you know, most of these shows have become transactional. It's about selling another booth, another ticket. And that's not what we're, how we're wired. We're wired to say, hey, we have a, a huge opportunity to be event producers to, you know, steward and kind of almost, you know, in a mayoral way, 
you know, be of service to the community and like, what are their needs? What do they need out of an event? What is it that they hate about events that we can eliminate and provide a better product? And that's really what was the origin of this. Now, you didn't mention a couple of things that I have to touch on. I mean, you know, we started this company and, and kind of organized it at the end of 2019, went out with our business plan and here's what we're going to do. And we raised some capital and all of a sudden, like the entire event space <laughs> shut down. Um, and, um, you know, so, you know, we survived. We did some virtual events. Um, I think we did it, you know, them very successfully and innovatively faster and better than most out in the marketplace because it was kind of a awkward kind of tool to use to, you know, what, what, what makes people feel good about going to events is that you feel part of a tribe right? You feel like you belong, like you're in a room with people that do what you do. Um, you know, I kind of compare it to like a Maslow's needs hierarchy of, rec you know, of fully actualizing yourself as an adult. But professionally, like, you know, when you're in a room with people that do what you do and can have those conversations, that is so emotionally fulfilling. Um, it's validating. Um, it's inspiring. And, and that's what we love doing about events is just, you know, being able to inspire and create success stories for people. Kim, what do you want to add on to that? I think you covered it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but but we did do a lot of things differently. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about the design of the event and you know qualifications and stuff. And yeah, so you, MJ Impact is different. Obviously, you know, Mitch, you've been there. Uh, we highly curate our audience. We make sure that. It's made up of brands and retailers and investors. That is the sub-segment of the industry that we serve. Um, we are unapologetic about it. I do get a lot of hate mail. Um, <laughs> why can't I come in? Or, you know, we also get a lot of registrants that try to basically not tell the truth about what they do. Uh, for Generously misrepresent themselves. <laughs> Maybe that's the nice way to say it. Uh, I <laughs> call them, you know, liars. Um, but we actually vet every single registrant. So when they register for the event, they're just not automatically in. They go independent. We have to, you know, make sure that their credentials are, in fact, factual. Uh, and then we approve the registration. And the reason that we do that is not to be exclusionary in any way, but this is what MJ Impact is about. And if it doesn't, if it, it might not be, it doesn't fit everyone's needs. Mm -hmm. We're specifically serving a specific portion of the industry. Mm -hmm. um, so that is, is in one way how we are different. But the other way is that when we did launch MJ Impact and George and I knew that this was a CPG industry and that the, the largest event and the most, not even largest, but perhaps the most important event to to move the industry forward, to really support it, was going to be an event that included the brands and the retailers because they're the people on the front lines. Mm -hmm. And they're going to drive the industry. And they're going to determine how this industry is shaped. So brands, THC brands, even now, aren't ready to exhibit. They don't have you know, a budget line item that says events. <laughs> They're just not prepared to exhibit in a 10 by 10. It doesn't make sense. We don't have a national federal market yet. Um, that said, we created these glass display cases so that the brands could showcase and display their product 
it's cost effective. It's not cost prohibitive because it's not, you know, we don't sell real estate, right? That's not what George and I do. Um, so they're in these glass display cases. They get to show off their brand the way that they want to show off their brand, the way that they think it should be merchandised. <clears throat> and then the other thing that we heard from retailers, and I, we, my main focus is on retailers, so I talk to them a lot. And they said, listen, we don't want to go to a trade show and be sold to. We don't want to go to booths <clears throat> and we're nervous. You know, we're going to turn over our bat so no one knows who we are. Right? Or, or do what you do. You pretend to be on the phone when you're walking down. I do. Yeah. I do. If you see me walking around MJ Impact on the phone, there's an 80% chance I'm not actually on the phone. I'm not, I'm not going to feel guilty by interrupting you from now on with that information. No, so. I just no, need to get from out. point A to point B, right? And I need to do it quickly. So I pretend I'm on the phone. So either attendees will do that or they'll turn over their badge or they'll hide. Um, what I heard from them is they want to learn about the brands before they're connected with a salesperson. So we decided, well, let's put a little QR code on each one of these display cases and then hmm. attendees can come by, they can scan the QR code, they can learn about the company, they can see the products, they can see where the products are available, what states they might be interested in joining or having licensing deals. And then that retailer can decide whether or not they want to contact that, hmm. that company and have that conversation. So I think that was an important element of our event. Uh, it's a new behavior that we're asking everyone to adopt. For that reason, it's taken a little bit of education um, and we constantly have to talk about the app at the last show in New York. I don't know if you noticed, but we actually had MJ impact people walking around with little signs that said, you need help with the app. <laughs> and we got a lot of feedback that people were like, yes, I do need help with the app. Uh, and so hopefully as years go on, it will become, you know, commonplace where that everyone just does that. I, I don't want to ever compare our event to an onion, but it does have a lot of layers. Um, and, and kind of expound on what Kim's saying is it's about meeting the needs of the market at the moment. And we knew when we were designing this event that there's not a national CPG market yet, but what are brands, what is their need set? And, and, you know, they're often operating in a state, they don't have the capital to buy another license, set up another full operation, really run a separate business in another state. They need to expand their footprint and they need to, you know, build a motor around their brand before we see federal legalization and some of these big companies come in and kind of with huge operational capital and kind of crush them out of the market. So, you know, often that's through an asset light model of finding a partner, you know, you got a license in Oregon, you find a partner in Oregon and say, hey, I want you to make my product. I'm gonna control the last mile. So I still have control of the sales and the marketing of this, but like, I don't have to invest all that money in that infrastructure that, that they're already capital starved, right? But to Kim's point with the brand showcases, like the brands never have an opportunity to control their visual merchandising. And, and so many of the brands were so creative. You saw a lot of the showcases. They were doing mm -hmm. some really cool stuff there. And like, this gives them a chance to like control the, the window that's going to be in Macy's someday selling their product, right? Yeah. And, and have that, that kind of moment in the sun to say, this is how we want our product to feel when you look at it in a display case before you buy it and consume it. Um, but that had that double effect of like almost making our trade show floor feel like a uh, retail store where you could go around and shop. And and so it has a couple of layers in it of, of how it kind of psychologically interacts with the audience that we're trying to create. Again, keeping that price point low, because if there's a brand 
in Washington, them spending, you know, five or even $7,000 on a booth at, at a national trade show that they're just getting a hundred square feet of real estate and basically left out to dry. And then they got to spend another five to 10 to build that booth out and have a presence. And there's no interaction or app that they can message brands or they can schedule appointments or they can, you know, when people are looking at their QR codes or they're looking at their brand, create a lead generation for them. Like those are the things that drive transactional value. And then, you know, to the point about the design is like, you know, we created all the soft seating. You saw Vegas. We had, you know, foosball tables. Um, one of our investors' uh, sons has a knockdown vintage arcade company. So, you know, we ended up having some Miss Pac-Mans and stuff around the floor. And it's not about kind of going and geeking out on the games, but, you know, having some fun while you're on the show floor and having space to have conversations. Because it's when you and I get a talk and we can kind of eye each other up and build some trust and body read body language. Like you have to establish trust in somebody and before you're going to do a business deal with them. And that's done face to face. That's done in a very casual human way, not like trying to walk through a Home Depot, Depot experience, a lot of trade shows and having somebody point a scanner at your badge going beep, beep, beep. Like that's just, that's just awkward. Like I just think that there's a better way to build events that, and Kim and I, you know, trying to build something that has some purpose and some passion, but ultimately it's about productivity and value. I love that. And I, I definitely noticed that with the, with the brand showcases, like you said, it was able to showcase products, how they look at, on a retail floor, but they obviously get a little bit more to add some personality there. And on Kim's point of being, you know, cost inclusive is, you know, also if you're out there with only one staff person, right, you can only afford to send one staff or the owners out there. You don't have that. I can't walk away from my booth and then I won't retain, like, let alone maybe the fear of getting something taken, but not even that the fear of, I miss out on collecting someone that's interested contact, right? They can just scan it and connect in, but Hey, someone likes my thing. I, it's real easy. And I don't have that fear. Like, okay, I can shuttle them away from the floor and go potentially explore. Hey, what would brand licensing deal look like? Which seemed to be a lot of the conversations at the last show seemed to be around, at least from the brand side, um, were around brand licensing, whether they were seeking, you yeah. know, new brands to license or people were looking for partners to license their brands too. And we're going to be doing some yeah. Uh, in New York, I mean, there was easily a dozen you know, clients of ours and brands that, um, you know, that, that are big in California. I mean, some pretty sizable brands in California. And they're like, yeah, we're trying to find partners out here in New York and New Jersey because like we're just done in California. It's a nightmare. It's a mess. Um, and, and not blaming anybody for that in particular. But you know, they just, they recognize that they're going to really struggle if they just continue to put all of their place bets on California to sort out the mess that it's in. And they have roots in, in the East Coast. And like, we know this is going to be the next big market wave and everything else. So um, it's connecting people across the country. Like we've lived in these little, you know, kind of fiefdoms of, you know, Washington or Oregon or, or whatever. And everybody kind of knows each other and hangs out and, you know, kind of wants to, you know, one up each other or, you know, try to cut market share from somebody else. Like there's a huge market out there that there are plenty of seats at the table for everybody. So let's get everybody in the room. Let's figure this out. Um, and let's build a market that's sustainable and supports, you know, the entrepreneurship that has carried this industry forward since legalization and not forget that we got to get the legacy operators into this space legally. They've been supplying us weed when, when weed was illegal and it's not going to be a fair market if, if we freeze them out of the space. And they can't get in in California. They either get overtaxed and run out of business and they have to, you know, if I'm selling across in 50 states right now, growing weed, I, I, 
why would I want to get a license in California and limit my market to just California? And let's not talk, let's not forget Washington. I mean, Washington has a 37% tax rate. It's higher than California. So, and Washington often gets overlooked um, by California. This yeah, I need to talk to you about that. I need to increase my budget for weed every month because of the taxes. <laughs> Absolutely. I was impressed that the Unpacked in New York was the most people from our home state, because I know we all live in Washington. The most most people from Washington I've met out of the state at Washington at a singular event. And I was and there's a lot of Oregon there, too. And I was like, man, Washington finally broke out of their shell a little bit, man. I was real proud. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I think that's the, that's kind of the, the the mantra in our state. I mean, you're just talking to some of the brands here. It's like, we just need to be able to get out. We need to be able to get outside money in. Um, and, you know, obviously Colorado had a lot of success with that. Um, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, some people might say not because once that outside money came in, it kind of became cannabis at scale, right? A race to the bottom. Let's see who can produce the highest THC at the lowest price. And it's tough out there everywhere, but um, it's been tough for the cannabis industries, especially in the licensed operator space. And this is why Kim and I wanted to make sure that our event also included a very heavy investor component. Like there's just not, you know, we, we know that that is the limiting factor is people's access to capital. Um, and we don't have normalized banking opportunities that most industries have available. Um, you know, basic, you know, lines of credit from, from businesses. I mean, I've looked at lines of credit that are available in the cannabis industry and they make, you know, some of them make loan sharks look like nice guys. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and two, I want to back it up for a brief second on the, on the brand licensing tip that seemed to be a, uh, like I said, a lot of people I talked to were, were engaging in that in New York and really exploring it, seeking it on, on either side of it. And I know that's not obviously not exactly what you guys do, but in facilitating so many of those things, in your opinion, what are some of those what are some of those things that they're either looking for or should be looking for, for either a brand trying to license or, or someone looking to license brands? Kind of what do you, what, what are some thoughts that you have on that ecosystem right now? Hmm. It's a tough, it's, it's a tough question to answer. I'll just give you my opinion because it's so personal. Um, Mr. Moxie's for example, came out of Vegas with a deal to license it with acreage and go into 10 States. Right. I don't know what happened with him in New York, but I was outside smoking and he came outside, saw me, picked me up, gave me a great big hug, told me I was awesome and then left. So I'm hoping that means <laughs> he got another licensing deal in New York. Um, we have, you know, Fruit Slabs who can really talk about this because he's, he's not only the CEO, but Brandon is also an IP attorney. Um, he shot me an email and he said, I guess we're going to be in New York sooner than we thought. And, you know, because he was exhibiting in New York, but you have to be really careful. I mean, we know some brands that have been burned, um, through licensing deals and I'm not privy to those personal conversations. So George, maybe you could talk about this because I think that we do talk about it on our conference program, at least we have in the past two events. Uh, and everything that I've heard from the operators is, you know, ask a lot of questions. Uh, I think that licensing is more popular than, um, more popular than, you know, organically growing simply because it might be cost more cost effective. And of course, then you have revenue shares, but 
you know, but it's, it's about, and I think the biggest thing is, is, you know, it's about being in the room, right? You need to be in the room and we need to have the right people in the room. And so when we're bringing brands, I mean, MJ Unpacked in Las Vegas and in New York was the only trade show in our industry that brought brands in from every adult use market in the entire country. Um, so some, some are looking to be sellers, some are looking to be buyers. That's what trade shows do is as a market, you know, we bring people together that have, you know, a product or a need um, and everything else. So that product isn't necessarily going to be, you know, that Mitch, you want to buy, buy my gummies and, and, and sell them at your retail store. But I have a product, which is a brand. And that brand is something that there's buyers at our event that are looking to, you know, they, they, especially with the East coast markets, you know, they're, they're setting up licenses. We're starting to see the dawn of the golden age of the brand, right? Like some of the MSOs, there was a really interesting article uh, written in Cannabis Business Executive um, recently that talked about that, you know, even the MSOs are starting to reposition how they're reporting their earnings about how much brand revenue they're generating because they're ultimately going to become, and they see that the long-term valuation for those companies at a big scale are going to be about brands that they can be that Anheuser-Busch, they can be that Coca-Cola and have their, you know, vending machine with 42 different flavors you can and make up. So we're at that, that, that inflection point. And again, I want to go back to, you know, the fact that there are a lot of people who have, um, you know, really made a lot of sacrifices to try to build a successful business in this industry to, to bring medicine to the market, um, to change the kind of, intoxication that we use to kind of take the edge off the day that isn't as, you know, damaging as alcohol or God forbid opioids um, and, you know, really provide a, a better solution to create a better, better world around us. And like, if these people get, get crushed out of the market, like we've, we've done a terrible job. We have done a terrible mm -hmm. job. If we let the thought leadership of the cannabis industry in the United States and globally get usurped by, large corporate interests, we have lost. Um, this is, you know, there's, I don't want to steal anybody's thunder. I, you know, talked to a very, very important, you know, advocate for our space, you know, about, you know, maybe cannabis at scale doesn't work. Um, you know, like you said before, like the best weed you're going to buy is stuff that's, you know, grown in a two to 4,000 square foot canopy, not a 200,000 square foot canopy. So, um, it's still early. We still have time to, to really change the direction and the trajectory of our industry. And I think that, you know, bringing the right people together that can, you know, be in a very highly productive environment. And that's what we get to do. I mean, like we, I, I'm going to not brag, but you know, we have one of the best jobs in the world, right? Um, it's not easy, but we get to bring these people together and watch them, you know, have their successes and, you know, hear about this. And it was the same in the tea industry. And, you know, we've, we we were able to change people's lives around the world that, you know, guys in, and women, men and women that were, you know, running tea plantations in different parts of the world, um, you know, that were subject to commodity pricing because the large players, you know, controlled 80 percent of the market now had an avenue where they could sell their specialty tea that was highly curated at a premium price and, and be able to afford a good living for them, their family, for their workers, put their kids in better schools, you know. So, absolutely no, and and that's you know something we talked about. I know we talked about uh, the, the little interview I, I did with you on the floor of around diversity, inclusion, and the legacy market and the importance. A lot of a lot of people talk about it. It's it's become a 
a great talking point, great marketing line item, you know, especially since the Black Lives Matter movement talking about diversity has become a mainstream, you know, marketing thing, right? It's like the, I always say it's like the new gluten free. Uh, it's great that it's being talked about. Some people really mean it. I think you guys, you know, walking around and talking to people at Unpacked, it definitely it didn't feel like something that was just talked about. It felt like something that was being introduced. A lot of people interacted and engaged and commented on that even without it being brought up. And I think a lot of that comes from having that intuition, that foresight, but also like both you guys have demonstrated on this and in previous conversations, just talking to people and and, and listening to what the market wants. And, and Kim, I know you said you, you, you deal with retail a lot. So I'm curious from your perspective in talking to retail, what, what does that section of the industry want when it comes to uh, attending events? Like, what, what do they want to gain? What are they looking to extract from that experience? It's interesting that you ask that. It depends on the market. Um, Washington retailers are really tough, actually. They're like, we're not looking to expand. You know, we're not looking to do anything. There's no outside money coming into Washington. So what are you going to do for me? Um, however, there's other retailers in Washington, like Shannon from Evergreen Market, Shannon Veto, she's the CEO of Evergreen Market, which is arguably the most, um, successful dispensary in the state of Washington. She's all about MJ Impact, you know, um, unfortunately she's going to be bicycling through Italy during our <laughs> big event. Well, you know, shame on you <laughs> for doing that instead of attending our event. Um, so it depends on the market. A lot of them are looking for investors. They're looking to, you know, uh, invest. They are looking for expansion opportunities through franchises. A lot of them are looking for franchises. Um, and most, every single one of them says they want to discover new products. Now, what does that mean? They can't buy, if you're a Washington, you know, retailer, it doesn't mean you're going to have access to Colorado's particular brand. But through seeing what all the, all the other states are doing, they know what to look out for, what the trends are, what the future is, and then they can compare the products that are available to them now with the products that they know are out in the market in other areas. Um, so that's a big one. And also the conference program, I constantly hear they want to understand, get more insights. Um, they want to learn more. They want this more skills, uh, real solutions to challenges that they have, which is why our conference program, uh, we're a little bit different this year. So we're full three days and Wednesday is dedicated to conference programming. The expo is not open at all. And this time we decided every single session on that day would focus on retail pain points. And, and, and um, to add to that though, Kim, I mean, and, and part of the drive behind that is, I mean, you know, when you look at how do people learn, it's always, you know, peer-to-peer -peer learning is always going to be the highest form of learning. Um, you, know, you know, Mitch, I can talk to you about running a media company and doing media because you do it and, and, and be a very valuable conversation to learn some things that you're doing that I might never have thought of and vice versa. But I'm not going to go talk to some consultant about it. Um, somebody, some lawyer, um, some sponsor that paid enough money to get on stage to self-promote themselves. I want to learn from people who do what I do, have done what I've done, who have made mistakes that I haven't made, or maybe the same mistakes I've made and how they fix them. That's where people yep. learn and get better and, and, and grow professionally. 
And I think to that, you know, just another mm-hmm. sidebar on that, Mitch, when we first did our conference program in Vegas, uh, I don't, m- most of the retailers and brands weren't used to attending conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had retailers in California, in Nevada, uh, in Oregon, in Washington say, wow, I actually wanted to attend every single one of your sessions. So yes, we have two shows under our belt, but I think that we've already established that our content is not pay to play. You're not getting speakers that are ancillary that are trying to sell you something. You are hearing what has worked for people that have walked in your shoes. And um, so there's more, we're charging for the conference this year for that full day conference because it includes a hosted lunch. It's $150. I haven't even published it yet. And we have more retailers signed up than we ever have had before in previous events. And they're buying these conference passes. (laughs) And when I looked at who's buying the conference pass, they had already attended Vegas or New York. Mm. So they know that our content is going to be compelling enough that they're willing to pay for it without even knowing what it is. And that's, that makes me feel good. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a testament to, I think, curating it properly. And I know I attended a few at Vegas, I didn't because we had a booth at the last one. I didn't get a chance to break away and attend many in New York. I sat in a little bit here and there. But it was definitely great. I mean, I definitely recognize a ton of the people and know a lot of the people that are on stage. And they're definitely very well credible to speak on yeah. what they're speaking. You were having too much fun in your booth. Yeah, you know, a, a little <laughs> bit of that. And then, you know, whenever I got a moment, I'm stepping outside to, to smoke a little something, you know. To, to <laughs> Which was kind of cool in New York. Um, you know, I mean, it's just it was even just besides the, the large pods of smoke that were emanating from groups of people from our event that were down on the street. Like anywhere you went in New York, like, you know, people are smoking up. I mean, you can smoke anywhere. You can smoke cigarettes. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see how they do this. Um, you know, obviously there's, you know concerned by you know warranted concern in the industry like you know i mean you know how are they you know how are they going to roll this out it's great that they've you know created a 250 million dollar fund to support you know so uh bipoc owned businesses social equity legacy operators moving into the space so it's not just again you can do the di panel and talk to to talk about it or you can do something about it like we do is you know, make sure that we have a partnership where we get funds from companies to support our academy and M4MM and some of the brands in their portfolios to actually be on the floor and bring their product to market, to talk to investors, to find people that can ra- they can raise money from, not just, you know, say, hey, you know, we've got a uh, diversity problem in the industry that, you know, there's too few, you know, black owned and minority owned businesses, women owned businesses. Um, we've seen the data that women executive leadership in our industry has gone down, not up over the last year and a half. Um, you know, we, we need to, to find, you know, what, what are those levers that we can pull to actually make, make it happen, not just talk about that there's a problem. Yep. Absolutely. Um, what all do you guys have in store that's going to be different this, this time for Vegas? I know, I know that, uh, you yeah. know, there's going to be an inclusion of some cannabis awards, um, and I know there's going to be, Kim, you mentioned the format change. It's going to be three days with, with, uh, the panels and the conferences on, on, on day one, but what, what are some other additions that are going to be, uh, encompassed in this, uh, new rendition of unpacked? Are you flying or driving down Joe, Mitch? Uh, I am flying and to, to Kim's point, her friend who was biking, my brother's wedding is the same week. So I actually am flying. I'm flying.
fine so I can fly out at the last possible moment on day two so right. I can get to a rehearsal dinner in a in another state. Well, I was going uh, to say you could adopt a puppy at our show this year. Um, we're working okay. with uh, local. You need to say congratulations. Congratulations. Brother's getting married. And where, where is your brother getting married? Uh, in LA. So not very far, but yeah. everyone's like, why aren't you driving? I was like, well, if I fly, I think I can be at this conference for another hour and a half. So uh, there you go. <laughs> okay. So yes, you can adopt a puppy, but that's not the, that's not the most exciting new. <laughs> George is excited about I it. I am. <laughs> Listen, we want people to have fun. We want to support, you know, important causes. Um, Tim, Kim, do you want to talk a little bit about what we're doing for um, support some of No, I think you should talk about the Venture Summit. Oof, we got a lot of new things there. Um, and, and I think one of the things that Kim and I really um, uh, are most excited about is we want to continually reinvent the event. Um, we want people to want to come back and go, what are they going to come up with next? <laughs> um, so um, in addition to having uh, working with a, a local shelter in Las Vegas and having a puppy petting zone where people can adopt puppies on the show floor, um, we are also launching our MJU Venture Summit. Um, this is going to be a half-day program, and it's going to be exclusively for fund managers, family office executives, and ultra-high net worth individuals with funds that are actively investing in cannabis. And this is going to be a half-day program that runs concurrent with the conference program, Kim mentioned, that's really designed for the retailers, and brands want to know what retailers are thinking, so brands need to be in that the conference program too. Um, but this is really for the, the capital in the market, and you know, bringing them together. Anybody that's doing deals these days tend to syndicate. They need to kind of network with each other. Uh, but we're having very high level conversations on accessing public market capital. Uh, BDSA will come in and do a very high level um, uh, session in there on the markets and the opportunities, talking about successful exits and um, talking about what's new on the Hill and when we can see some type of regulatory change. Um, but it's uh, the idea behind it is to prov provide, again, a very highly curated you know, group of people. And then this kind of feeds into the event and helps us get more people who are, are have funds available back onto the show floor, talking to the brands, talking to the retailers, talking to licensed operators. How can we help this industry grow, go forward and grow forward, um, you know, successfully? Awesome. Awesome. And then I'm sure we're going to have some mixers and some entertainment as well intertwined in there. You guys do a good job with those. Oh, yeah, we are. So you mentioned awards. So we are a partner with the Clio Cannabis Awards this year. So the Clio Cannabis Awards, uh, I believe that award ceremony is held on Thursday night. Thursday night. They will have a red carpet cocktail appetizer um, at 6 p.m. And then the awards presentation is at 7 p.m. So people can register for the Clio Cannabis Awards without coming to MJ Impact. Or people can register for MJ Impact and add the Clio Cannabis Awards presentation to their to their registration, either or. But we're excited about that because it brings in a whole new a, a new level, a new audience that we can also support our current audience with our you know our current brands. So if you are a brand and you have entered the Clio Cannabis Awards and you're also showcasing at MJ Impact and now you win, I mean, voila, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. It's awesome exposure for those brands. So that's exciting. And then we also have, um, we have the Clio Cannabis Awards. We also have breakout sessions, which are new this year. So even though that main conference program on Wednesday 
is a separately ticketed event. It includes a hosted lunch. It's very prestigious, blah, blah, blah. But then on Thursday and Friday, we will have breakout sessions that are included with the expo only pass. And that, that content uh, is more readily available and will be focused toward brands in addition to just retailers and, you know, gaining access to capital in tight markets. That's the biggest, uh, I think, conversation driver right now. Uh, and, and, you know, one of the things you talked about, you know, mixers and parties and everything else, um, you know, the, the first event we did in Vegas and, and this was totally a little bit of a boyhood fantasy of mine. So, Cause like I grew up and I probably watched the blues brothers 200 times. Right. And, you know, so it was really cool to be able to, you know, work with Belushi farms and get Dan Aykroyd and literally put the band back together and have this benefit concert and have the house of blues at the Mandalay Bay, which is the perfect venue for that. Um, and we ra raised a lot of money. We went to New York. We um, wanted to run a benefit again, event again, support Last Prisoner Project. You know, we've had some people say, you know, why are you only supporting that organization? What about these other organizations, right? So, you know, we heard that. We listened to it. Um, and LPP is doing a great job. They're raising a lot of money. They're doing a lot of work to really create awareness about, especially, you know, um, you know, bringing back some, you know, freeing somebody from a Russian prison right now. Um, you know, while that's really important, um, for cannabis use, we still have a lot of people locked up here for mm -hmm. cannabis use. So, um, it's going to help bring attention to that. But, you know, we, we took a look at this and we decided that, you know, we know that a lot of our exhibitors and sponsors want to be able to host dinners and parties. So rather than create a competitive event and, um, you know, kind of split the audience at, at night, um, we decided to just 5% of the registration fees that people pay us, we're going to split between, LPP to continue to support them, uh, Minorities for Medical Marijuana, Weed for Warriors so that we can help support the veterans and getting them access to cannabis, and then Americans for Safe Access who has done you know, amazing work to really help drive the research and science behind uh, cannabis and, and, and provide um, great information, like I said, uh, to my son's third grade teacher who thought I sold pot for a living. <laughs> Just help people sell a lot of pot. <laughs> so we're contributing to those four organizations through registration. Uh, and then we will not necessarily have a big, huge party the way we have in the past, but we will still have mixers, hosted mixers uh, throughout the event. So people can still take advantage of free drinks. I love it. Well, thank you for that. You know, my liver doesn't <laughs> thank you, but I thank you for that. See, Pam, she'll have a few extra drink tickets for you. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I appreciate that. Well, awesome, man. I, I really appreciate you guys being on here, sharing, you know, being vulnerable, sharing some of your journey, letting us know about what it what goes into Unpack, what people can expect. The next event is September 28th through the 30th at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. Like I said, RMR team will be there the whole time. I will be there for day 0.75-ish. Uh, um, but I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, you know, the third one, it, it's grown. My excitement's grown each time. Really appreciate you guys. Um, Anyone else looking for any more information or tickets, mjunpack.com. Anything else we want to plug before I get you guys out of here? No, but I no, do. but thank you, Mitch. And we look forward to seeing you. I have a favor to ask. If you're going down there and you're running around town to all these dispensaries, I might send you a shopping list so that when our staff comes and we go to the hotel, <laughs> that we all, you know, so I might I might need to put you on the payroll and make you our personal shopper so our staff is well well stocked during the week. 
Hey, I, I'd like to say I got a pretty good palate, so I could curate, you know, I could I could help curate probably a good list there for you. Let me know. <laughs> Just <laughs> think you. someday in the future we're going to be able to have a national trade show and you can go there and sample all the products you want. Hey, you know, I, I've often thought, you know, maybe my dream job, which has shifted over these last few years, if I could be that, you know, personal cannabis shopper for, you know, the ultra elite and, you know, could charge a ridiculous fee to just buy the best weed, you know, that, that'd be a pretty good job. That so, would be a cool job. I'll hire you, but I'm not a hyper elite. I'm just a regular guy. Um, so, uh, but yeah. I would, help I, me work I, I, my I, way onto some yachts, George. And then, you know, and then, let me, let me. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you guys very much. This is the North American Weed Tour podcast. Like I said, MJ Impact, 28th through the 30th, Las Vegas. We'll be there. Hope you're there. See you guys later. Thanks, Mitch.